Welcome to On the Road to No Place Left. This is Feeney, and I'm driving as we learn to share the gospel, make disciples, and reproduce leaders and churches until there is no place left where the name of Jesus hasn't been heard. This interview with Kevin Greeson was born out of some personal study and pursuit of better ways to engage Muslims with the gospel. I'm so glad God worked out the timing for it to publish right at the start of Ramadan 2023. I'm from South Texas, Corpus Christi is where I was born, raised, Mm -hmm. and then uh, never met a Muslim, I don't think, until when I went off to university. My first experience with Muslims was I was in a dorm. I was the resident assistant. That's how I got my way paid through school. The Muslims were from Iran. This would be 1980. The other guys in the dorm were not happy with the smell coming out, the body odor coming out from those guys' rooms. And so one day somebody pulled a prank and threw, gathered all the soaps up from the showers, opened up the Iranians' doors, threw all that soap in there, and then ran. And the Muslims came out and they talked to me. They said, in my country, we would kill somebody for doing this. I said, well, hold on, guys. Don't don't do that. (laughs) That That was my first experience with Muslims. And somehow I grew to love those guys. Still, still not know, knowing how to share with Muslims, but my wife and I just knew we were called to missions. But there was one class in seminary by Roy Fish entitled Spiritual Awakenings. And it was just it basically it was a history class of awakenings in the U.S. Something happened to me in that class, and I remember asking the Lord, could I experience one of those? I, I knew I couldn't lead it. I couldn't, I didn't have any skills or confidence in myself. I said, could I just, Lord, could I just see one of those? As time progressed, I knew I couldn't, it didn't seem likely that I would see one in America. So th- this is a very odd way of moving towards the mission field. I'm trying to go get an experience and through the life of a missionary is probably the most likely way I'll I'll get this. Huh. And of course, reading books about amazing things happening on the other side of the world. So that was my prayer. I, and I didn't want to win people to Christ. I, I didn't want to do that. And so it was a combo calling. And so we went to the little country of Bangladesh. It was told to us by... Uh, our mission agency, they said, we can't get anybody to go to Bangladesh. Would mm-hmm. you you'd be willing to go? And uh, I was very naive. There, there's a reason why people don't go to Bangladesh. It's not a popular destination even to this today. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a, it's a very difficult place to serve, not because of persecution or um, the Muslim religion. It's just that it's way overpopulated. And even Bangladeshis, they long and dream of getting out of that country. It's just, just not a great place to live. But we went there, still not knowing how to share with Muslims. 
and, and I was working with Hindus mm-hmm. at that time. This would be 1994. Then by 1997, our mission agency decided that we would stop working in an, with an old model and start working with a new model, which would be described as people group oriented, a strategy coordinator working for that people group. So that was the paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. So they asked me if I would be take on the Muslim. You know, I said, absolutely. Because I wasn't seeing much success with the Hindus. I went through strategy coordinator training in Singapore with Bill Smith. And I knew Steve Smith because he was my Sunday school teacher back in Uh Fort Worth. I was always a fan of of his. Later, Steve Smith would kind of replace Bill Smith down in that Singapore training center. So in Bangladesh, there was a older missionary who said, hey, I'm not working with Muslims, but if you want to work with Muslims, you need to check out this young guy who came to Christ. He's claiming to have 20,000 Muslims baptized and inside house churches. I said, well, that's the best place I need to go for research and for me to learn something. By the time I learned the language and then I went down into that part of the country and started interviewing. He got some trust going, and then he allowed me to go into those house churches and ask doctrinal questions. I want to know, are you really believers, and mm-hmm. what do you believe, and what kind of persecution have you gone through, and what price have you paid? And I was just overwhelmed. I got good answers and things that humbled me. I've never been persecuted. I started taking notes and learning, and I asked them, when you go to Uncle Abdullah's house to share the gospel, how do you do that? And they said, well, if we just start talking about Jesus, Uncle Abdullah gives us a black eye. Don't talk to me about Christianity. Don't. He said, but amazing, amazingly, if we start with just something out of the Quran about Jesus, all of a sudden, it pacifies Uncle Abdullah, and he he's he's okay. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, we can talk about Jesus. It, it, they said it's just really remarkable. So I got trained in that and learned how to do it. I knew that if I stuck around with that movement there, uh, I would probably ruin it, being a foreigner and just bringing all the baggage that I bring. So I decided I'm going to take what I learned and I'm going to go to other parts of the country and I'm going to start doing that. So I found me some partners and we started working and within uh, that'd be 97 and we started that. And by 2002, we had uh, six emerging movements, Uh, nothing over 200 baptisms in each six of those, but Mm -hmm. Later, those movements would grow. Each one would get over a thousand. And I was I was in the middle of all six of those. Uh, I didn't lead any of those, but I was partnering with a national. Three of those were Muslims who were led to Christ. And three of those were from the Christian background. Today, uh, two of those are still functioning, you know, for different reasons. They 
merged, you know, one left the movement to go start somewhere else. And so that movement emerged with another one and one of them died. Uh, one of the six has died. So just different reasons, but two of those movements are still in existence today, still going on. That's, That's great. the backdrop of the camel method. Um, David Garrison was my supervisor at that time. As, you know, just learning so much from him yeah. still to this day. And he encouraged me. I said, hey, because I, I, he moved me over into India, working with Muslims over there. And I, I said, well, I need to package what I learned here so I can st start working over in India. And that's when I came up with the camel method. It's I stole every part of that from what I learned mm. from our own experience and from that original movement there. Yeah. Wow. I love that you um, the, that you guys learned it from what was already happening on the ground. And even when you describe those six, I love that God's diverse enough that he works both through Muslim background believers and like existing Christians getting a yeah. burden for, for the lost. Just when people get like, they hear that and they're like, wait, you're using a, a false teaching to, to get to the gospel. Just kind of build, kind of lay that groundwork of why, why we, why that's a good, actually a good strategy. It would not be a good strategy if using the Quran as a bridge left people feeling better about their Quran or it didn't move them from the Quran to the Bible. And that this is what I encourage everybody. This is not a tool for just everybody. If you're using the Quran as a bridge and you do the proper thing, which is research, you need to go back and look at your own sharing opportunities there and look to see did that is it a bridge or is it a highway you know did it it's just short did it get them over whatever they're stuck on or is now you're stuck with the quran and so i would always go back into those where wherever we had shared i'm i'm a big researcher committed to it because i want to get this right i would go back in and I bring other missionaries and other people, even those six networks, I would get one to go check another network. We would go in and ask the questions of these people who are now identifying themselves as followers of Christ, as Christians. We would ask them, where is the Quran in your life? And we also ask, where is Muhammad in your life right now? And out of all those years of research, I cannot think of any experiences or any reports of Muslim, former Muslims saying, oh, in our worship time, we use both the Quran and we use the Bible. I mean, that's a red flag. But I never heard that. It was always, no, no, no. That Quran, I, I don't like it now. I, I only use it to catch other relatives of mine. The, the Quran goes nowhere. It leaves you lost and more lost and confused. And hope is not inside there. The, when they open up the Bible and read it, it's like they describe it as a breath of fresh air. Mm. It's chronological. It's got story. It's and It's been contextualized, meaning we've got it, it's simple Bangla. It's been mm -hmm. translated, you know, we easy to read Bangla and the Quran is not easy to read, That's whether it's Arabic or whether it's in translated into Bangla. It is not easy to read. And it just 
somebody described it this way every fourth verse in the quran takes off on another topic i did my homework and i found that the quran just kind of destroys itself it leaves people wanting and the bible is just a natural i love this book that's that's one thing but i also i wanted to know if there were any precedents in the bible giving me permission to mm. To use a contextualized tool like this. So, man, I'm reading Paul where he's saying to a Jew, I became as a Jew to a Greek. Mm-hmm. He said he's not a Greek and he became as a Greek just so that he can win people. All right. That sets the bar right there. You know, when Paul goes into Athens and this is mm-hmm. Acts 17, and I, I can only imagine as he's walking in, he's saying, look at these statues here. Man, these guys are so not Jews. And I, I need to put on my contextual contextualization hat. And you know what? I'm going to use these statues when I go in there. And of course, he used to the unknown God, he used that one as just a bridge. And it's a quick, short connection. They appreciate it. He also kind of destroys those bridge. And we do the same thing with the Quran. Let's get you out of there as fast as possible. And we'll show holes and problems with the Quran. We may talk favorably of only of the things that we agree with in the Quran, but you'll never find us talking up things that you and I would not agree with in there. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to connect with someone who is so different from me. And so, you know, and finish that up to finish that up. Paul said he, he refers to their scripture. He quotes quotes one of their poets. As so and so says, I say this. You know, it's a Brit, and then he throws that one out, kind of destroys it. So as long as we all, as long as people are committed to doing their homework, does this bridge actually land people where you want them to go? Then you're on safe ground. But if it doesn't, you need to back up and tweak and or throw out. We use the Quran as a bridge only because we've done our homework and we we use it as a bridge, not anything more than that. Yeah, I like the word language of the bridge because then I've never thought of it until you just said it that way. But it's like, where are you getting off the bridge? And if you don't get off the bridge at the biblical gospel, then it's actually not a good bridge. So that's really good. We have found that in very, very more high dangerous places like Pakistan, this tool becomes even more helpful for you know people that are new believers and want to go to their relatives. You can move in this direction. And Bangladesh persecution is real. It's there, but not like it is in Pakistan. And I don't know how many times or how many stories I've heard of people in my estimation, a lot of lives have been saved and good communication has been successful mm-hmm. because they used a contextual bridge such as using the Quran. Yeah, and even to jump to the Western context, find myself in is like maybe somebody gives you a hard stare. <laughs> it's not persecution when you're talking to a Muslim, but there's just a quickly like, well, you're a Christian, I'm a Muslim. Like we could talk about things, but we don't, we already both know we're on a different team kind of thing. So that's where I'm asking the question as I'm trying to learn this tool is would it help to have the bridge just start where they're at 
You know what I mean? Instead of coming at it from, well, I know what I believe, you know what you believe, and let's argue about it. It's kind of like, that doesn't seem like it gets you anywhere. Obviously, you're not getting killed for it in America, but you're also not getting anywhere as far as them understanding the gospel. Down in Texas, here in Houston, I've not had any mosque or Muslims turn me down when I say, when I request, hey, can we do a, I, I am reading the Quran. Oh, they get so excited when I say that. Uh, they appreciate that. Uh, I'm doing a Quran and Bible study, you know, comparative religion kind of deal. And oh man, they melt and say, oh, let me, let's, let's do that. And it's not long into that study that we see typically, we mm-hmm. see them drop the Quran and say, oh, let's just study the Bible, you know, mm-hmm. in a nice way. I get to poke holes in, in the Quran for, for example, when we get to the story of, uh, I mean, they have a story about creation. We got a story about creation. So let's start there. So as we're reading their story of creation, it comes down to chapter 20 in the Quran, verse 121. It says, uh, and I'm paraphrasing it, Adam disobeyed and the relationship was changed at that point. But it, the fact that Adam disobeyed, because they all believe that prophets never sin, mm-hmm. and Adam was a prophet. I said, wait a second. Your book just said that Adam disobeyed. That's that's sin. Oh, no, no, no. He made a mistake. Then, no, that, that actually says disobey. And it's it's something that I've seen when we get into these comparative studies, the Quran just begins to crumble and mm. it shakes their own foundation when you do these kind of things. Well, give us a quick, give me a quick overview of the, of yeah. the camel method. The guys that I were, was uh, studying from in Bangladesh, these former Muslims, they were using multiple verses from here, from there, there. And it was confusing for me. And I didn't, there were some of those verses that they say, oh, this teaches this. And I couldn't, I don't see how you could get there, mm-hmm. that verse there. So it was kind of a, to me, it was a little bit of misusing even their own book. Right. Uh, it doesn't really say that. So I, I just wanted to simplify it. And I said, kept saying, if, if there was just one place a beginner could go to, and start using this as a bridge, where would that be? <clears throat> and it kept coming to this one passage. It's in chapter three of the Quran, Surah Al-Imran, and it starts at verse 42 and it goes to 55, just that passage right there. And inside that one passage, you've got a C-A-M-E-L. So <clears throat> chosen, Mary was chosen. And then there's the announcement. By verse 45, there's the announcement where um, an angel tells Mary to name the baby Jesus and that he's a word from God. There was some really good things inside verse 45. The M of camel, C-A-M, stands for miracles. By verse 49, it starts just talking about listing in a real brief summary there that Jesus had power to heal the leper, the lame, the blind, and even raise people from the dead. Another great talking point about 
who Jesus was. And then uh, EL, and this is kind of a stretch here, but I had to stay with the acronym there. <laughs> EL stands for eternal life. And by the time you get down to verse 54, it says they had a plan. All Muslims understand it. they are the Jews and the plan was to kill Jesus. They had a plan and God had a plan and God's plan is the best plan. So we get them talking about that. We understand the Jews' plan. And, and by the way, what was the plan the Jews had for Jesus? Why did they want to kill him? Well, it was for blasphemy. And nobody, I, I haven't had any Muslims push back on that. But that's a great point. Mm. Because they don't believe, where did Jesus ever say, I am God? Well, when you're doing blasphemy, you're taking your verbally you're saying i have the quality of god yeah and for you and me that's blasphemy mm -hmm. but for jesus that's that's not where did jesus say i am god uh well maybe you won't find exactly those words but they he must have said it because they understood him mm -hmm. and they want to kill him for that reason right there all right so the jews had a plan god had a plan God's plan is the best. We In that verse, we don't know what God's plan is. In the next verse, the last of the passage there, verse 55, it says, uh, God says to Jesus, basically, he's going to tell Jesus his plan. And he says, I'm going to cause you to die, and then I'm going to raise you up. Anyone who believes, in context, people believe what? These believers, what do they believe? And if it's in that verse, then it's those that believe in God's plan that he has for Jesus. I'm going to cause you to die and raise up. So those that believe that plan, they will be separated from those who don't believe that plan. And they're going to be placed above those. Hmm. And this plan is from now, supposedly God is saying this, from now until the end of time. That means this plan, die, raise up is never going to change between the time mm -hmm. that supposedly, according to the Quran, that God said that until the end of time. Every Muslim says, no, 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 it was changed. He decided not kill him, you know? But no, it says from now until the end of time. And at the end of time, God's going to, again, through judgment, he's going to separate those who mm -hmm. uh, believe and don't believe. That's the passage, and that's what the camel book is all about. These are talking points within these verses here, 42 to 55, and you're welcome to use those. So the, the personal question I had that actually led to me reaching out to you is from that, how do you transition to, and maybe it's it questions, but how do you transition to like a discovery study? Maybe, I don't know if it's the comparative religion or you just straight transition to, do you want to read more about Isa now that we've seen how the Quran elevates him? I would just kind of love to hear coming out of that kind of conversation called the Campbell yeah. Method. How do we get to discovery study? Maybe a clear gospel presentation, just kind of that next step is what, that was what was unclear to me. And I wanted to ask you about, you know, in that passage, you can go from verse 45 an angel said, Mary, you name him Jesus, the Messiah. That's one talking point right there. Just the name of Jesus. You can get right into a gospel presentation. For some reason, Quran translators 
use a capital, I think it's in every translation, English translation I've seen, when it says the the word word in verse 45, it's capitalized. That, that's a great talking point. You know, in the beginning was the word. It personifies mm-hmm. that word. It has a deeper meaning just from a lowercase w. Yep. There's another great place to go to and talk about Jesus and get right into salvation. But this is only a bridge, and it's mm-hmm. going to drop the conversation at any point there. You can find a great way to transition to the gospel presentation. And the one, there's three circles. There's steps to peace with God. There's so many good gospel presentations out there explaining the gospel. We have found the one that's called the Corbani Plan of Salvation. And I encourage everybody to go look at that. It's out there on the internet. You can find it. And basically, when you go to verse 54 and 55, that plan where God said, I'm going to cause you to die and raise you up, said, I know that plan. I've read the Bible. Can I explain it to you? And by the way, you Muslims, about 60 days after Ramadan has finished, they're going to have their next big celebration, which is to take an animal and sacrifice it. So the gospel, we like to say the gospel is right under your nose. Mm-hmm. You do it every year. You just don't have the proper meaning uh, assigned to it there. And so that's what the Corbani plan of salvation is. It is Bible story and using sacrifice stories all the way to Jesus from from the beginning where God he took an animal skin and covered them. So we like to start right there and say symbolically, God covered their shame and their sin with that. And we call it a sacrifice because that animal did die, starting with creation to Christ. And yeah. we're just doing selective sacrifice stories and, and telling the story in this way. It's, it's building, yeah. you know, people didn't really fully understand why they're doing sacrifices, you know, beginning with David and the prophets. They look back and saw we're doing this sacrifice system and then they're relating it to something in the future. This king, this suffering savior is coming. I wonder if this is connected here. So we, we just kind of walk it through there. And then finally, we say. God did the first sacrifice when he took that animal and covered the the sin and the shame of Adam and Eve. And he did the last and final sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And he used Jesus. There's so many different ways people try to explain the Trinity. Obviously, it's very, very difficult for somebody who didn't grow up with the Trinity now coming on. Jesus is God. That's just so, so hard. So we have found in the Corbani plan of salvation, a built-in, another another way of explaining, you know, this sacrifice had to be with the most holy, pure blood. The blood of animals, you know, is weak, as Hebrews uh, 9 and 10 explain. When God did the last and final sacrifice, it was forever. Mm. It was the most powerful sacrifice the most powerful, clean, holy blood. Well, where in this world could God find blood of animals is weak? Uh, where could he and mankind, uh, they're sinners. 
where in the world could he find holy, powerful blood? Well, only in God. So God sent Jesus down in a very different way. He had no father. Mm -hmm. Why did Jesus not have a father? Most Muslims will say, oh, it's just because God wanted to show his power, another miracle. No, there's a purpose here. He's not got, he's not in the same line as Adam. He's different. Yeah. He's got God's blood inside of him. In, in that way, you begin to see how we can, mm -hmm. hey, Jesus, God, or one, Jesus came from God. He is, yeah. he is God. All right. So that's, in a nutshell, how you go from the camel bridge into your choice, yeah. three circles or whatever, into a gospel presentation. And the best launching point is verse 55 where God said, I'm going to cause Jesus to die and raise him up. Let me tell you that plan. Am I right? You're looking at that point, that's just the concept of the person of peace. You're looking for somebody that's interested. Like if you're getting through the just kind of the conversation from um, Al Imran, like those verses we talked about, and they're just kind of like, ah, I'm not interested. Like you're not trying to push through. You're just looking this is the bridge to find that open, responsive person, and then you come in with the, the good news. What well said. This bridge has another, you know, benefit, and that is we can see if we've got a fighter, mm. or if we've got somebody open and opening up their mind to allow a different thought to come, and if they can handle that. So yes, you pursue like individuals, groups, like. Obviously, you tell the story of you're just going to go a Muslim background believer is just going to go share with maybe an uncle or a family member. But as an outsider, is it just kind of whoever God brings or is there any strategy to, oh, hey, I want to talk to three of you guys about this or just you, this one person? Yeah, uh, the, you know, both large crowds. It works also with individuals. Uh, I'll give you a, a practical tool here in Bangladesh. I told you it's overpopulated. There's no such thing as talking to one person. You know, it's, it's very hard. So groups come around. And what we begin to train our eye to do is to tell, get from the bridge to the gospel and keep an eye out for someone who gets this. So I remember we would share, and again, it is a little dangerous, so we're having to watch ourselves. So we, we share in a big crowd. A crowd can turn into a mob just like that. Mm -hmm. So you share and then leave. Don't leave fast. Leave a breadcrumb trail, mm -hmm. you know? So leave to where seekers, because they, they also don't like the crowd. They want to get out. And so I remember one time I just shared and I learned, you go slowly away from there. You know, of course, I gave my goodbyes and anybody else wants to know any more about this. I'm, I'm available. Here's my contact. But I'm leaving on the back of a rickshaw bicycle. I'm sitting on the back and the guy's on the front pedaling. And I'm looking back and I'm looking back at that crowd of about 50 people. And here comes one guy out from the crowd, grabs his bicycle. And man, he's just pumping, trying to catch up to me. Mm. And he said, hey. I, I didn't get that little paper you gave. That was his excuse to run up here mm -hmm. to me, but uh, ended up, hey, I want you to come to my house and explain this. A local guy that I've done a lot of training with, but he and I are thinking about going to the mosque today, first day of Ramadan. So would love to oh. know what, uh, give me some advice for walking to a mosque. Okay. 
show respect in any way that you can. Mm -hmm. Muslims are the most prideful people on the face of the planet. How do you work with prideful people? They eat up respect. Mm. And not insincere, but real respect. You know, anything you can find to respect them. They do fasting more openly. And we can say to a degree, they do it better than us. Well, Mm. tell them that, you know, say, man, we just admire you for doing this. And there are problems with the way that they fast, but you can find something to compliment them on. And this is what you ought to say today. Mm. I'm studying the Quran. And watch what reaction you get from that. And these guys, when my team member said, you know, I am studying the Quran. He didn't say he believed it. He didn't say he was become. They think you'll become a Muslim if you study the Quran. But it'll go away real quickly once they realize why you're studying it. And uh, they said, oh, man, so glad you're studying it. And then my team member said, Oh, hey, have y'all, I'm studying the Quran. Have y'all ever studied the Bible? Oh, we don't need the Bible. And they're, they're just trashing the Bible. And my team member said, hey, guys, uh, and they already established a relationship here. He said, you know, before you criticize something, you might want to actually read it. And then your, your criticism will be more, you know, sound and will it'll be taken better if you actually read it and then criticize it, have y'all read the, you know, that led to, oh, about nine months Bible study, Mm -hmm. Quran and Bible study. And after the third time they were together, they stopped reading. They said, "Eh, let's just skip the Quran. Let's just keep reading (laughs) the Bible. Now they did not convert, but they heard the gospel and they had a let's say it this way. They had a conversation with Jesus. They read from John every time they got together. They did a chapter together, mm-hmm. and they cool. they understood a whole lot more. Yeah. So going there, show respect, and they will actually be so happy if you'll break the fast with them. They got plenty of food. Don't worry that you're in you know yeah. causing an inconvenience. You're not. They will so love for you guys to be there for that. So if if you go today before, be ready. They will probably invite you to come in one day and just break the fast with Mm -hmm. them. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. This is really helpful and encouraging, especially going through some of that. Well, you're you're in a period of time. I encourage everybody to go read Garrison's book, uh, A Wind in the House of Islam. And in summary here, 1,400 years of history. From the beginning all the way up to the year 2000, Garrison went back through there with a fine tooth comb and he looked for any things that popped up on the radar of movements. And a movement for Garrison is a thousand baptized in a geographic area in a period of 10 years. That would surely show up on the radar, be a blip there. So he kept looking for how many times that happened in Islamic history, and he could only find from the beginning all the way up to the year 2000, he could only find 14 times that happened. More Christians were being assimilated into Islam than coming out in that time period. 
And then from 2000 to the time he published, 2013, he went around the world. And anytime he would hear a missionary reporting over a thousand baptized Muslims, he would go and research those. From 2000 to 2013, he found 69 movements, reported movements. So I like to ask people, when in Islamic history, there's 1,400 years of Islamic history, when is the best time mm. to get out there, open up your mouth, and share the good news? You're living in it right, right now. now. That's awesome. Your grandkids are going to ask you, Grant, Grandma, you know, were you alive? Did you see that? Did you experience that? And all of us have a choice to say, no, I never heard anything about that period of time. Or you're going to say, oh, yeah, let me tell you some stories. And let me tell you my story of how I was a part of that God movement on the Islamic world. So get out there, everybody, and share the gospel. Now's the best time. Man, if that doesn't pump you up, I don't know what will. Be sure to check out the show notes at ontheroad.link to find links to most everything Kevin mentioned. That's ontheroad.link. And I just encourage you to jump in the game of engaging Muslims during Ramadan. This is Feeney. Thanks for listening. The On the Road podcast is to encourage you to share the gospel, make disciples, and reproduce leaders and churches until there is no place left where the name of Jesus hasn't been heard.